Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Roll for Enterprise. This week, we have a very special guest, Vigo, V-E-E-G-O, is an Israeli startup that's aiming to perfect the internet experience of any connected home. So this sounded like something interesting, and we wanted to find out more about how they use AI techniques to detect and resolve any possible connectivity issue right from your home router. And uh, who best to talk to than uh, Dennis Sidov, one of his founders, who's with us today. So hi, Dennis. Hi, thanks for having me. Welcome, Dennis. Yes, welcome. So I gave the brief introduction, but you can probably discuss Vigo much better than any of us. Why don't you explain quickly for our audience exactly what it does and why it's interesting? Sure. So generally, you know, if you think about your internet experience, these days we use pretty much everything. Everything we do happens on the internet, right? You stream movies, you play multiplayer games, you browse your social networks, you pay for your stuff. Essentially, our lives pretty much depend on our ability to connect. And as things connect to more complex services, you know, now you have 4K and 8K streaming, you have, you know, tens of connected devices in your home, you have your Alexa, your smart lights, your alarm. As you have more devices and more services, things start becoming hard for your ISP to support those. Essentially, all those devices start overloading uh, your network and the ISP's network and your Wi-Fi. That's, that actually creates a huge well, overhead for your ISP to support it. The problem has actually become even larger recently due to you know, COVID-19. Everyone works from home, right? And suddenly, what used to be a home network for primarily, you know, streaming and browsing, simple things, has suddenly become pretty much a work network with people connecting through VPNs, people having their live conferencing from home. And suddenly, tons of issues started happening. We've actually seen a rise in three times as many calls to ISPs due to people staying home and suddenly using their networks and tiring them as never before. And that's kind of what we aim to solve. We realize that the newer issues that happen in homes, the new malfunctions that cause people to call their ISPs are a little too complex for current support people to resolve. In fact, we see less than 50% of resolved calls. And we aim to prevent those calls by detecting all those issues in advance. So imagine you have YouTube buffering. We have a tiny piece of software on your router that will detect it in advance and prevent the issue. It will optimize your Wi-Fi network. It will even optimize the infrastructure to provide perfect service to your home. And essentially, we took the intelligence of everything your router knows about your network, and we combined it with pretty complex AI algorithms to pretty much perfect uh, your a network and adapt it to your particular use and take that intelligence and add that um, to any support people who tries to solve those complex issues and take a support person who had four months of training being 18 years old taking it as a minimum wage job and turn them into a pretty much superman with our ability to see all that data and analyze all those very complex problems the, the timing is interesting because I think, you know, we always ask ourselves, like, why now? And I think the pandemic has really emphasized this. Like, I, I can talk from the enterprise side where 
as soon as people went to work from home, you're always wondering to yourself, um, you know, you're getting the calls about network and people are always pointing the finger at each other. Uh, but it seems that the net, the, the networks, the last mile, the the ISPs are the ones that were really struggling in this in this whole mess. And even like I know Microsoft tried to say like, hey, we have there's a last mile problem in places, and and everybody was struggling. But I guess that's where um, you guys help to identify exactly where that is. Am, am I correct in that assumption? Yeah, precisely. In fact, something very interesting that we do is um, we detect issues what we call end to end. If you really think about it, your internet service, any internet service has many, well, stakeholders responsible for delivering that service, right? You have naturally your ISP, who's responsible mostly for the infrastructure. Then you have your service, which is Netflix, for example, who are responsible to have steady servers that are close by and have, well, um, a good enough uh, network infrastructure to them then the same Netflix is responsible to writing a good app that you know would be good at buffering the data and receiving it and won't take too much CPU when it tries to show a 4K movie. Then you have Apple who makes your device, right? So you have at least three different stakeholders, all of whom can break your service, right? And your ISP doesn't know anything about those other two. Your ISP has no idea what happens inside your phone. They don't know that it's overloaded. They don't know that, you know, Fortnite server or Minecraft server is too slow, which might seem like a connectivity problem, right? Because your kids yells about glitches, but it's not really a connectivity problem. It's a problem with the server. And that's exactly why we had to utilize this more complex method of analysis um, to be able to see into those as well. What we really do is we only have one piece of software running only on your router. And that software is able to see into the server and the end device and the Wi-Fi and the last mile and the entire infrastructure just from your router. And that's something we were actually able to achieve by using um, a couple of interesting AI methods. Um, so that's one of the things that I was interested in uh, talking about a little bit more. So Zach and I actually originally met at an AI startup that was using AI and uh, machine learning models to analyze monitoring data. And one of the things that attracted me to that approach is AI and ML, it depends very much on the data set. And many of the problems that people have encountered uh, with uh, using these technologies are based on insufficient data or data that's not telling them what they think uh, it means. And there's a lot of work going into cleaning data sets before you can even do analysis and start training your model. Um, technical monitoring data, network monitoring data especially, on the other hand, uh, is pretty good data sets to, to use for those approaches because we have a ton of it. It's being generated all the time. You don't have to go look for it and do weird things to get hold of it. Uh, and we already have a pretty good idea of what good looks like. Uh, my kids are able to watch Netflix while I'm recording a podcast, while something else is going on, a backup or something. Uh, and all of those processes are able to run without me calling up the the ISP and complaining about my service and threatening to cancel. Does that track with your experience? Do you have a view on that? Yes, that's a, that's a good point, actually. AI is a concept, generally, when we talk about AI, although it's a pretty common buzzword these days, it's pretty much about 
taking lots of data, taking pretty complex and structured data and finding patterns within it that we wouldn't be able to find it manually. So we use it for conventional things like differentiating pictures of dogs from cats and you know, navigating the streets with your autonomous car. But it's even more useful for doing things that human are, humans are not able to do, right? So in our case, we use it to analyze in real time you know, gigabytes of data going through your router. And we don't dive into your private data, naturally. It's encrypted and pretty, you know, privacy-breaking. Uh, we only analyze the patterns of your traffic, the actual, you know, signals that go through. And that tells us pretty much all we need to know. Because we take this, on one hand, lots of data, but on the other, very hard to analyze data, right? Just how many packets go through your router. And by training pretty smart AI, we were able to use the data to predict that you're having a problem. And it's really about this. It's about being able to take lots of data, data that you as a human not necessarily know how to process and using some complex algorithm to process it for you in ways that you not necessarily understand. Got it. Yes, that's exactly the promise of AI. It's the sort of stuff that you could maybe find if you had infinite time and infinite people but you don't, you have a limited number of, of people and you have better things for those people to do with their time. And so if you can automate the process of finding the interesting things that those people should focus on, then you're already ahead of time. And I like also that the, the Vigo website and many AI projects, they start getting into, oh, our AI is so amazing because it's AI and it gets kind of inside the baseball in that sense. Uh, and Vigo, one of the things I like is that the, the benefits that they promise their customers are very, very concrete. Fewer calls to the customer care center, fewer truck rolls. And if you haven't worked in the telco industry, what that means might not be immediately obvious. But uh, I've done some work around telco customers. And a truck roll is an obviously expensive thing. You have to send the truck out and the truck has to have a whole bunch of equipment on it. The truck itself has a cost. It has to have the technicians in it. But what people don't often think about is some of the second-order consequences. If you send that truck out and it turns out the fault wasn't at whatever remote field location, uh, you've still wasted the, the, the time of those people. You had the truck tied up. You couldn't use it for anything else. Uh, you may have then some mandatory downtime that you can't send those people out again until they've had some minimum rest time. And then it might be the end of the day, and so you can't use them again until tomorrow. So there's a, a very significant opportunity cost. If you have two or three incidents that all result in truck rolls to the same location, uh, well, the techs might be very happy. They get to have a card game and have lunch together, but it's not a very efficient use of company resources. And so that these are the sorts of things that may seem less snazzy and shiny and exciting then how amazing the AI model is and how it's going to take over the world. But they're the ones that get the actual concrete results. So I have a question, Dennis. The, the last mile has been problematic for ages, especially in the enterprise from both service provider and organizational perspective. So this, this has shifted from probably hundreds now to thousands for organizations as their employees working from home. How does Vigo scale? So generally, um, being a software that runs on your router, um, we have access, you know, to 
stuff that happens inside the home, but you know, uh, having being a company that sells to ISPs, we have the opportunity to deploy on pretty much all their homes instantly um, after we close, and that's very powerful because it allows us to kind of take all that aggregated data and combine it to find out about you know huge networks events, events that impact the entire infrastructure. So we take our knowledge that your neighbor right now has a problem with their infrastructure. And even though you're not home and you're not using it right now, we deduce that you will have a problem as well. Or the other way around, if many people from the same neighborhood have a problem that we detected from the router, we can instantly deduce that there is a problem in one of their you know, infrastructure's nodes. And in that sense, scale actually very much helps us to detect larger problems. Another uh, example of this is problems with the actual services. So for example, uh, back a couple of months ago, Fortnite had you know, a big black hole that kind of ate the entire game and they were down for two days. And many people thought it was a problem with their internet. All of them called up their ISPs and it took them at least a day to realize that the problem is that Fortnite servers are down. Now we, um, with our ISPs, were able to detect it pretty much instantly, uh, pretty much because we saw tons of homes being unable to connect to the same server and simply using this hive mind, this, you know, our leg in all of those homes to know that there is a problem that isn't with the ISP, but with one particular server or a group of servers not responding. Wow, it, it almost seems to me as though there's a good opportunity for Vigo, perhaps you're doing this at the micro data centers at the edge of these 5G locations. Uh, I know it's a, you do a lot in the home, but uh, wow, what an opportunity there. Do you, do you get involved there at the moment? Yeah, to be honest, 5G is only beginning its deployment, so we haven't yet put our hands inside of those boxes, but that's absolutely something we're looking to get into in the next year or two uh, as it becomes more prominent. because to me, 5G is a perfect opportunity for something like our you know, router agent, since 5G nodes are very similar to home routers in the sense that, well, at least in their power of the radio. In many problems that homes encounter, 5G will encounter as well. Problems like interferences, problems like coverage, problems even like smart prioritization of different services that they manage and all of those things uh, that are similar to home routers that we have huge experience with. And Zach, uh, you're the resident network expert. I mean, when we start to look at 5G, the, the tower density is much higher than than regular networks. That's where the real comparison is happening, I'm assuming, right? Yeah, it is. And then you have what's called network slicing. And I know Dennis is probably aware of this. So unlike 4G world, there's more network slices for different types of applications from what he's talking about gaming uh, to multimedia and things like that to other things. And so uh, when I hear this, I, I think uh, this is, is pretty powerful just listening to what Dennis is talking about. So yeah, yeah, exactly. Mike. Dennis, when we talk about uh, like, you know, what we hear, you know, from news agencies and all that about, or publications about AI, they, they talk about the, the need for like a lot of compute. You, you seem to be doing it at, at the router level. Can you talk a bit about that? I mean, is this something we hear that's incorrect or, or is, there, is there something else at play here? Well, it's pretty much right, actually. We try to move as much of our analysis and our 
computing to your router, to the edge point, uh, for two reasons, one of which being your privacy, right? We don't want to upload everything to the cloud all the time, all the private stuff that we analyze to deduce that there is a problem on one hand, and on the other, um, to be able to perform better. Because if we would do all our analysis on the cloud, we'd have to upload tons of data from your home all the time. So we were able to create very small and lightweight models and combine it with a tiny engine that we wrote to execute those models on very weak hardware, on embedded hardware, home routers essentially, um, to allow us to do, well, to run those models, run inference inside your home. So what really allowed us to do this is this hybrid approach we have where we train our AI on the cloud because training is usually very heavy and involves data that we collect from our entire install base. Um, so we do this training on our cloud. And then we, after we train those models, we send them to our agents to run them infer that there is a problem directly in your home without any private data leaving your home and keeping essentially everything real time and uploading to our cloud very little data essentially everything we upload is just you know this home has a problem in this segment so very much apple's approach of doing the learning locally on device and only uploading as you say the the learnings there that uh, the particular pieces of data that are going to be relevant. Um, so a couple of questions around that. Uh, how frequently do you need to update those models? Or is there a feedback mechanism that enables you to do continuous training? So we have arrived at the stage where we do continuous training. Essentially, we collect those samples all the time, fully anonymously. All the samples themselves are just, you know, this and that much data was passed through the router uh, during those 10 milliseconds on Friday night. Um, and we are able to collect those samples and do the training pretty much fully autonomously uh, all the time. So we do this sort of reinforcement training on our cloud always. And we need to upload those models, you know, pretty much once a week, not more, um, possibly even less with time. But that's pretty much the rate we keep it in. And it allows us to, again, keep a very low impact on your router. Right, because those aren't very beefy devices. And um, a broader question. So something that tends to come up between the three of us when we're talking uh, AI and privacy and data uh, is that Mike and Zach, and I hope I'm not mischaracterizing your opinions and do jump in, uh, but tend to see the access to lots of data as being a key requirement uh, and the European approach to data privacy and not collecting quite so much data as, say, Chinese apps uh, as being something that could potentially hold back the development. I tend to take the more stereotypically European point of view and say, oh, no, no, we need some privacy. We need to control our personal data. And of course, Israel is uh, different again in in my experience. So do you want to throw your hat in that ring and tell us your opinion? Yeah, I see it as like a, a trade-off, right? I mean, I don't mind uh, giving up some data as long as you make my life more convenient, right? If you look at what Google does and so on and so forth, uh, you, you know, I, I give them more data. Next thing you know, they're they're writing emails for me, you know, it's 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 great, right? So there's some convenience and, and you give up some of it. So, and I think that, you know, 
privacy may be, um, I, I don't know if su- such a thing as true privacy really exists anymore, but yeah, well, that's a, that's a whole other uh, conversation. But yeah, yeah, pass it to you, Dennis, on, on your thoughts here. I generally agree with you guys. Privacy is, well, especially now in our modern world, becomes more and more important to everyone. Uh, but in my mind, AI is actually, well, an enabler for privacy. Because if you really think about it, these days, when you go to your doctor, right, it's the least private thing ever. You have to tell them exactly all the symptoms. They inspect you in all sorts of different and private places. Um, imagine that you could replace the doctor with a very smart AI or maybe even an autonomous robot of any sort that would do all this autonomously and create an assessment fully autonomously. In a way, you'd protect your privacy by passing the data that you provide your doctor with to an AI. And that's an extreme example, but you can take it pretty much everywhere. You can take it, again, to Vigo, where us using AI to analyze your problems actually improves your privacy. Because right now, if you call the support center, the support center you know, looks into your home. They ask for consent, but naturally they see what devices you have. Um, when you use them, how far they are from the router, things like that. Um, by doing all this analysis ourselves, and essentially much smarter than that, um, we give the support person just the insight. So they don't need to look into your home to, you know, to infringe on your privacy, you know, to tell that you have a smart TV connected and an Xbox, although you're a 40-year-old. <laughs> they can tell that there is a problem without looking into your home. And that's due to the possibility of doing all this analysis with AI inside your home and only telling the humans involved about the problem. I like that approach. Uh, Differential privacy is one term I've seen applied to it. If you give a human access to the logs, they can potentially look at anything and they might remember it afterwards uh, including you know the the urls of websites you've looked at i used to be a sysadmin uh, a long time ago and i had access to the mail spool and i could just sit there tailing the mail spool and seeing everyone's mail go by it was uh, educational you, you were you, you were the guy who wore the t-shirt to work that said i read your email and and, and got thrown out weren't you i never got thrown out <laughs> right. Right. because i read their emails yeah <laughs> No, but I I see your point. If you have uh, a mechanical model, an AI model that can look at that and it's only looking for specific patterns, it's not looking for other things, then that's potentially privacy preserving compared to giving humans unrestricted access to go ferreting around in there. And the concern that people have is what else might it be looking at? And I have to admit, I do keep my ISP's device firewalled off from the rest of my network. But if it's only looking at the pattern of communication, then I don't really mind. I object to agents that run on a smart TV that log everything that gets displayed to the smart TV screen, uh, which appears to be kind of a default now, which is why none of my smart TVs are on the network. Uh, I object a lot less to sort of network traffic analysis like this. Dennis, when you look at the data being collected and 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 everywhere, and 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 just take it to like general AI. I mean, there's always like you think about it, and you could always do more, right? But 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 everybody stops at some place, right? So in other words, like you know, you guys are focusing on like augmenting, uh, let's say, uh, a customer service uh, representative 
or uh, potentially making it a bit, you know, giving the power to to, to end users or, or home users, I should say, um, who, who take service from ISPs. But you're you're careful not to go into, I, I would assume, like where where you could act like a customer service rep. And I I see different AI companies that are trying to boil the ocean. Is there is there a, a change in strategy happening among like AI ML companies to to be very good at one thing rather than more general? Uh, because it seems to me like there's a bit of a sea of change and I'm not sure what's driving it. And maybe it's it's what you guys are learning um, as the people really implementing technology. Huh, that's a excellent question. So the general trend with AI companies, it really depends on the type of AI company. That's really a huge ocean of different companies of different kinds. You know, you have the kinds of companies like uh, DeepMind that don't have a particular vertical focus. And then you have us who see AI as more of a tool to achieve what we are trying to do and not a necessity. So we, for example, don't focus on applying the techniques we learned to different uses, but instead focusing on truly delivering on our promise, right? With whichever tools. And as generally, it's very broad term covering things from, you know, deep machine learning to much different techniques that they used earlier. Um, we essentially are using whatever tools we have in our disposal to focus on that particular thing that we're trying to do. So we don't try to look aside, we're trying to truly just deliver the best internet experience possible. And these tools that we are using, which is you know neural networks of many kinds, um, are actually perfect for our use case because it allows us to create what I think is pretty much the next generation of many AIs out there, which is contextualizing what's happening in the home, right? Right now you have AIs that can tell a cat from a dog and they can detect cancer cells and they can tell if a bridge is stable or not. But all of them have been trained to distinguish those things. All of them are pre-trained to be used for that particular purpose and most importantly, all of them lack context. They don't understand what a bridge is. They just have been trained on different bridges to understand what a good bridge, what a bad bridge is. They don't understand what a pretty bridge is unless they have been trained on that. And I think we are, as an industry, um, are moving more towards an area where AIs understand things in similar ways to how we humans perceive them. The example of us would be we don't try to just detect that there is a problem with your network because you as a human might not notice it, right? Maybe you have a poor signal to your phone, but it's not a big deal because you're just browsing Twitter and you don't notice it. If you try to watch a movie, you'll have like buffering, but as long as you just browse Twitter, it's not a big deal. So we try to understand and establish this kind of context of what the person is trying to do. We detect if they're trying to watch a movie or play a game or they're just browsing the internet and check if the current network conditions actually impact them. More importantly, we take into account what type of device it is because watching 480p on uh, you know, on a 60-inch 4K TV kind of sucks, but doing the same on a small phone, you probably won't notice it. And we take all those different metrics into the decision-making of our AI. 
naturally all of it happens without anyone knowing. It happens inside your router autonomously. Again, one huge advantage of it being an AI, no human actually knows what you're doing, but our AI does. Our AI knows that you're trying to watch a movie and your network conditions aren't good enough for that. Therefore, you have a problem. If you don't try to watch a movie and merely have some random problem in the background, we won't raise an alarm. Although there is a problem, it doesn't affect you. And that's exactly this, well, I think next level of AIs, which is less on the technical part, but more on the applicative part of how we're going to use AIs, which is to try and understand how humans uh, kind of experience the world, right? An autonomous uh, car will not necessarily um, try to drive the most safest or fastest way. Well, I do hope the safest, but not necessarily the fastest way, but you know, the one most familiar to humans. So it doesn't drive into weird alleyways. Um, an autonomous you know, computer design software that automatically generates wheels will not just generate wheels that are functional, but ones that we will perceive as appealing to our eyes and not, you know, kind of dystopian, weird looking um, wheels. And that's something that we've really been looking into, being able to understand, um, allowing our AIs to understand what humans feel and how humans see the world and base their decisions on that. I love that. And it also enables your customers, the ISPs, to take decisions based upon that. So say earlier this year, suddenly everyone's working from home and where beforehand I mainly cared about uh, my downstream bitrate for my ISP, how fast can I download? And upstream was like, hey, as long as I got a few meg, I'm okay. Uh, suddenly I'm using, if I had it, I would use symmetrical <laughs> bandwidth because I'm spending all of this time on video calls and whatnot, which uh, are much more e even users of both up and downstream. And ISPs can then make decisions based on that that uh, will in turn enable better outcomes for, for their end users. Yeah, and it becomes even more interesting when you take into account that AI, well, AI techniques are often used to find correlations between different sorts of data, right? You use AI to find out that. Uh, for example, whenever there is a bad weather, the roads are more busy than usual uh, for city planning, for example. So in our case, it really allows us to kind of correlate very seemingly unrelated events to uh, very interesting insights, like predicting load on the network. Because once we know that people tend to watch more streaming uh, when there is a bad weather outside, we can really optimize the network for that. We can prepare the network in advance to be perfect for that. When our AI um, learns from internet sources that we've started to utilize, that there is going to be a big update to Fortnite, and naturally a huge impact on the network because millions of people will download the, the, that file, um, we can prepare the network for that. And that's exactly what we do. We take context from all those different places and we use, well, pretty much automatic learning to uh, deduce that there is a correlation between different events um, that we don't necessarily notice as humans or, you know, ISP operations managers, but REI does. And then it raises an alarm like, 
hey, note that there is a very high chance, you know, almost like you predict the weather. There is a high chance that there is going to be load, you know, in the north of Carolina on Friday. You, you know, Dennis, one of the fascinating things here is that the, any AI model, you need the kind of data to train it, you know. And I, as I look at like companies, it's, it's kind of like some are not gathering data, some are gathering data, but there's a specific like data you want and, and time sensitive. What, what advice would you give to, to companies about, about data, what, what they should collect, what they shouldn't collect? Like what, because companies are getting on this like AI journey, like how do you relate it to them in, in, in some, some instance? Well, my general advice advice would be collect whatever you can naturally in as an anonymous fashion as you can because of well privacy issues, but it is good to collect a lot of data um, because even things that seem unimportant in the beginning, like again, how much data is being passed through your router seems like the least important metric ever, right? Storing how much data passes through your router every 10 milliseconds sounds useless and almost just, you know, consume tons of data on your code. But once you collect all the data and actually try try to, well, train prediction algorithms to use certain, um, certain features, like again, uh, how much data is being passed through the router to correlate it with another metric like wherever there is a problem, you suddenly find essentially groundbreaking correlations that um, can open the door to whole new technologies, whole new uses that you didn't even think about. So yeah, collect as much as possible um, while keeping the privacy of your users safe and see what you can do with that data. Really just try to correlate it because you'll find crazy things that you didn't think about. The simplest example from us would be we at one point decided to just, you know, out of curiosity, correlate our latency data about essentially how slow your infrastructure is in every neighborhood to correlate it with weather data, which, you know, makes sense that there would be some correlation, which we actually found. We found a huge correlation between certain weather metrics and certain infrastructure load metrics. Um, and we are starting to use this now as a predictor for infrastructure problems. That's exactly an example where you should probably collect as much data as you can, even if it's not data that's directly related to what you do. Okay, well, we'll cut all this out in the edit. Um, so what we normally do to close an episode is we bring some recommendations. Uh, so... This has been a fascinating conversation, but one of the interesting things was trying to line it up. We had to span across some different time zones uh, to get it all uh, set up for everyone to be able to join. And in doing that, I actually found an app. Uh, it's called Overlap uh, by, uh, I never know actually how to pronounce this, Moleskin, Moleskin, whatever it is, the, you know, the black notebooks with the elastic band around it. So that company, they built an app which lets you look at overlapping time zones and figure out when everyone in the meeting is going to be available. This one was actually fairly easy with only a mere three time zones, uh, but I was trying to broker a meeting the other day across five time zones, and it gave me absolute fits. So this app can really help. Someone is going to pay the price when you're talking five time zones, that's for sure. Uh, yeah. No doubt. It's the middle of the night for someone. Them's the rules. 
Yeah, I think the interesting find I have this week is um, I follow uh, financials and, and stock market and uh, Finviz, F-I-N-V-I-Z dot com. I, I think they've built an, an awesome website, um, lots of data that you can pull together and see and, and things that typically I used to go to two or three sources to get. So r- really interesting if anybody wants to go uh, check it out. Uh, well worth uh, well worth your time, uh, but you might go down a, a, a dark rabbit hole and spend uh, way too much time on it. That, that's what uh, I uh, I, I found. So thanks. That was a fantastic conversation, Dennis. I really enjoyed that. And it touches on a number of recurring topics for this podcast about work from home, about 5G, about AI and machine learning and privacy. So I thought it was really, really interesting. And I hope the audience will think so as well. So thanks again for coming on. Uh, you can look up Dennis's company as Vigo. So it's V-E-E-G-O dot I-O. Uh, any closing words from you, Dennis? Well, thank you guys for hosting me. It was really interesting. Thanks, Dennis, for taking the time, uh, for, for making yourself available, and uh, and good stuff to the team at Vigo. Thank you. Thank you, guys, and good luck with the podcast. Thanks. Thanks.